Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crip, the crowdfunding podcast. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, March 24th, 2014. During this week in history in 1934, writer, political activist, journalist, editor, lecturer Gloria Steinem was born in Toledo, Ohio. Happy birthday, Miss Steinem. This week, our first guest is Adrian, and she has a unique tarot deck influenced by RPG themes. Welcome to the crib, Adrian. Thank you for having me. I've been trying to get into this tarot thing because I've never played tarot exactly. I played around, you know, like in college, you know, we made fun of tarot and we made fun of Ouija boards and weirdo stuff, you know, felt like it might have happened or it didn't happen. Other people thought it did just because the actual item was in the room. So tarot is a little different than like Ouija board and other things like that in that it's it's a deck of cards. Right. So in a way, you can play around with it just because, I mean, there's cool pictures and stuff like that. But when you have someone read it who actually right. knows what they're doing, it's kind of scarily accurate. I wanted to prepare myself for you because I thought I needed to be a little more learned. So I read this article and it said reasons why you should never look at tarot cards. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm not thinking the deck is so innocent. I'm thinking it quite possibly could be a lot of fun because it has all this mystery and, and intrigue. From what I've read, the first tarot deck was started in like I want to say the 1500s, something around the Renaissance. And there were two, there was like traditional Italian. So it like started in Italy. Right. And I know the de Medici's had one set up just for them. Right. I'm using the high priestess and the hierophant, but right. they used the Pope and the Papist. Right, right. I heard about that. The church wouldn't like that sort of thing. Blasphemy. And Catholicism was like, the big bad back in the day, yeah. they could have been like murdered <laughs> for using symbolism that would have made fun of or said bad things about the Pope. I think maybe you should tell me a little bit about the whole RPG thing. You know, what does that do for tarot? What does that do to tarot? How does that disrupt it or, or make it different in some sort of way? They have tarot decks, which are just the traditional 78 cards for suits. Right. And then Major and Minor Arcana, which is kind of like the Major Arcana are the big overarching cards that mean like really bigger things. Like and then the Minor Arcana are the suits, which right. there are four of them just like in a regular card deck where, you know, there's spades and clubs and hearts and diamonds. But in the tarot deck, it's usually wands, swords, cups and pentacles but I have changed out pentacles for hammers in my deck because right. it's gaming themed. So the hammers are the dwarves, the cups are the elves, the wands are humans, and swords are orcs. Is that what you mean by the whole RPG style? Exactly. So I'm adding the RPG flavor, as it were, to the decks. Right. So I'm going with kind of like the traditional symbolism behind all the pictures, but it's themed to gaming and actually gaming has mentioned tarot decks like if you have 
D&D or you have Pathfinder, they have rules for in-game tarot in the game. But even in, in the game that we have on Saturdays, my friend, he reads, and he's the one that suggested that I do this deck, and he will pick out cards for the game that's going to happen and basically read the plot that's going to happen <laughs> that's been written for the game and it's crazy but it's just something that happens and it, it depends on the reader it depends on the interpreter I've had people read for me and depending on how they read it's just different for every single person Right, but how long have you been into tarot? Like your whole research before the cards, though. You... I've had my deck for a while, but I haven't been really into reading the cards until like a year ago. And you've never like passed a spell or anything on anybody. You have you never tried anything like that, have you? No, the cards aren't meant for actual making magic or anything like that. So you don't have to worry about that at all. I wasn't worried, but I just. <laughs> just thought it'd be fun man well i mean i can tell you how to if you really want to but no i I better not play around i have enough problems of my own (laughs) and that's how i feel about the ouija board because i have this one friend who is like oh yeah let's totally play that and then like she went like all psycho crazy while we were doing it and i'm like no no, this isn't for me. I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I vote no on all of this business. So the reason why Ouija and tarot are completely different is because from my perspective, tarot is more delving into your own subconscious. Right. So when you're dealing out the deck, it's all about how the reader interprets the cards that are laid out for the person. To a certain extent, the cards come up in a specific order because that's what the person needs to hear. But it's also the reader and how they interpret it. Because if you get someone who doesn't really know what they're doing or they don't believe in it, you're not going to get the same information or the accuracy of the information is going to be poor for you. The thing that intrigues me about you talking about tarot, it feels as though you, even though... Let's say there's no superpowerness, there's no occult, there's no none of that that we're delving in with it. But mm-hmm. it feels as though when you talk about it, you believe that it's alive in some sort of way, depending on the person who actually is handling the cards, whether they believe or don't believe. Yeah, well, that's entirely spirit. true. It's all about the belief of the person, though. Right. Because if you give cards to someone who doesn't believe, they're not going to work. They just won't. Okay. But let's say I read out a few cards for you. I might be able to tell you something about a question that you have or something going on in your life that you may not have thought about. You know what? I I wish that you and I had arranged in in advance for you to have a deck and just read off some stuff for me. I think I have a deck. I can go grab it. If you could do that, I mean, that would um, that would be a show. Oh, I see. I see what this is going to (laughs) be. I'm excited. (laughs) Well, I get excited about this because it's something that I have a lot of fun with. And it's something I want people to, you know, when they see my deck, that they'll have fun with it, too. For me, it's all about the um, it's the pictures Mm -hmm. and whether the pictures tell you something about what the deck is. So in, in my actual Kickstarter, when I when I show the full cards that I've created and 
I show the picture and I go into all the symbolism and stuff, it's also telling them why I've chosen to put X or Y into the picture, what I want them to see when they read the card. Beautiful artwork, by the way. If I must say that in advance before you say something negative that I might not want to hear. I will warn you that I don't know what the cards are going to say. I don't know if I'm a non-believer or a believer. I'm just uh, an unwitting host. Why I like the cards as opposed to, like I said, the Ouija board is the, this is mostly its internal interpretation as well as just working with the pictures. Why I don't like Ouija is it's specifically supposed to be contacting the dead. Oh. And that freaks my wig out. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That totally freaks my wig out. <laughs> There's a lot of dead people I wouldn't want to talk to. So. so let me go ahead and continue shuffling. But while I do so, think about something that you want to know. Um, either something with work, something personal, something romantic. I don't know. It doesn't really matter what you're thinking about, just as long as you continue thinking about it while I'm shuffling. I know what I'm thinking about. You know what you're thinking about? Yeah. So I'm going to cut the cards and you let me know when to stop. Tell me when you've started. I am starting right now. One, two, three, three, two. Okay, stop. Let's just go ahead and do a three card spread. Yeah, and then a starter if you have set. More questions. Oh, yeah, I could be like, no, no, you get out of here. You're lying. <laughs> this is interesting. So the first card is you. Hmm. Interesting. What's the probability of coming up with a you? So just starting out with you in this situation, I'm getting indecision and procrastination. So you're either not making the decision that you're supposed to be making or putting it off for some reason because you don't want to, it doesn't feel right, but you're delaying for some reason. Well, I am a procrastinator, so that could be a good... But does that make sense for what you asked? Uh, what I asked is so hard, I'm not sure, but it, it could work out by the time you draw the third card. Let's look at past. So for you, I got reversed rejuvenation. So it's the opposite of rejuvenation. But I'm getting in the past, hmm, rushing in without thinking, hmm. the impetuousness of youth. I think about everything to the nth degree, but I, I still am sometimes like, I gotta get out of here. I don't care what it takes, what it costs, I'm gone. It does also mean like strength against opposition. Yeah, I'm good at that. I'm good at that. Um, you know, cause I say sometimes that um, I refuse to believe everything I'm told. I always mark it to the alternative. I don't go the mainstream, I don't go pop. But that's your niche, so that, that shouldn't be a problem. Right, but I thought it maybe it related to, made it made sense oh, to Oh, against car. opposition. Oh. Yeah, no, that does make sense. Right, that, that's what I mean, yeah. Now, the future one kind of doesn't make sense to me based upon what we've been talking about, but... Okay. It's bad influences, uh, bad advice, going down roads you probably shouldn't go down, hmm. controversy, temptation. I've always liked controversy. Number one, and that goes with marketing to the alternative. I believe that there's profit in controversy, but as far as bad advice, I do have a lot of people that you know, since the show has gotten kind of big in some ways, I do have a lot of people pulling me in different ways, and some of them I don't really like. You know, some are, are just straight money, some people aren't, 
they're not really good for me. And so I, I'm trying my best to strike a balance to where I do the things that I think are right. And so, you know, I'm in, I am in a lot of turmoil right now. That's the, yeah. about the easiest way I can put it. And I just want to take care of my family and make a living off of what I'm doing. And that's pretty hard. Well, it sounds like you're doing fine. And as long as you stick to your intuition mm -hmm. and ignore all that bad advice and ignore all that, any sort of temptation of people, you know, I guess wanting you to sell out, as it were. Well, before I leave, uh, what's coming up next on these cards? I mean, okay, you said wizards and, you know, is it ho hobbits or something? Um, donkeys? Well, what? donkeys. Well, I, I, couldn't think, <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else. I mean, yeah. Basically, I have already sat down and I have laid out what I'm going to do visually with each and every one of the cards. Oh, so okay. I know what they're going to look like and how they're going to be laid out. And it's just a the matter of sitting down and making them. And the process I go through with making them is I go through with pencil and I get kind of the basic layout done. And then I ink. So I go through and I pen ink everything by hand. And then I go through with watercolors. So right. after that, I scan them. And then I try to keep as much of the watercolor feel as I can, mm -hmm. while at the same time cleaning them up and making them digitally positive. So when you're looking at it, you're not going, oh, well, that, that's dirty. And the colors are bleeding all over there. And that looks bad. So you know, I'm going in and I'm cleaning them up so that they look good all around, but still keeping kind of the handmade feel of them. For anyone out there, if you're passing by Kickstarter, you got that feel for crowdfunding and tarot. I don't know how they go together, but they do go together in RPG and, you know, mm -hmm. and then the maker movement because they're handmade cards. So it's all mixed together. Check out Adrian's project, Roll the Dice Fantasy RPG themed tarot deck. Remember, we are the crowdfunding channel, and we cover the globe. Hi, everyone. My name is Lucy Snyder, and I'm the author of the Jesse Shimmer Urban Fantasy series that you see before you. The first book is Spellbent. The second book is Shotgun Sorceress. And the third book is Switchblade Goddess. As you might guess from the titles, these are somewhat dark, very action-oriented urban fantasy books. Out of the great state of Ohio. We have two literary... Well... They're working on becoming giants, and they're on Kickstarter, Steve Sauce, and Lucy A. Snyder, man. They have a cool series, Devil Feels, Lucy A. Snyder's new Jesse Shimmer novel, and it's by Alliteration Inc. So how are you two doing, though? Welcome to the crib. Doing great. Thank you. Now, these Jesse books, it's an already established title. So I'm thinking you've been successful with these books. So I'm thinking that you could take it to another publisher easy. Well, it's not really that easy. The original publisher, Del Rey, they ran the first three books and they did pretty well. Right. The problem with going to another big publisher is they are a little reluctant to pick up another series that some other big publisher started. That whole thing is just very awkward. And it's not impossible, but I was looking at what all I would need to do as a writer to kind of make that happen. And I looked at how long that process was going to take. And I thought, you know what? 
I'm going to go the Kickstarter route. I'm going to find a publisher who knows what he's doing with regard to Kickstarter, somebody whose skills with social media and everything else are a good complement to mine. I mean, there's a fair bit of stuff that I know how to do, but then there's other things that I haven't got the faintest clue about how to do. Right. Like ebook publishing, I haven't done any of that. And so I was talking to Stephen, looking at what he's done. I thought that Steve and I would be a really, really good fit for each other. I had been a contributor to a couple of the anthologies that he's kickstarted through Alliteration Inc. And I was super, super impressed with how he handled that behind the scenes after having been through the Kickstarter, particularly on What Fates Impose. And then later on Steampunk World, I was like, yeah, this dude knows what he's doing. I remember those titles for some reason. Could be that we talked about them a little bit here and there. And she's also in uh, Streets of Shadows as well. Oh, yeah. I'd known Lucy for a while, and she'd actually written the book called uh, Installing Linux on a Dead Badger, which amused me being a, a geek as well. So I read it, and I really loved it. And I'd read several of her short stories, and I knew how good of an author she was. And then when I actually got to read the Jesse Shimmer books, I was just blown away. So for me, it's really great because I want to read more of these stories, too. (laughs) And that's one of the luxuries I have as a smaller publisher is that I can say, you know what? It might be awkward for somebody who's just in it for the money. But for me, it's also the love of the story. And I really love the stories that Lucy's told. And I want to see more of it. Now, Steve. When you come on the show, it's always like I'm painting you as this guy coming in on this white horse and you're saving something or you're helping to to shed light on something that maybe people aren't paying enough attention to. Do you think I'm getting that accurate or or is that just me, you know, hype machine, hype monster, you know, promotion machine? I'm I'm not, he, like DJ Grandpa never gets the story right. (laughs) I like to think that I'm doing that. That's what I strive to do. It's something that that's important to me. You know, uh, tomorrow I'm actually giving a talk out out at Antioch College, and mm-hmm. one of the things I'm going to tell the people out there who are looking to be authors is that there's value, and that value is not always money. And you know, it would be great if I made all the monies and everything, but I really get a huge thrill out of not only being profitable, but also in doing the right thing and doing the good thing, and that's a huge part of my payoff. For those people who don't know about Jessie Shimmer, what type of woman is this? I mean, why does she do the things that she does? She uh, starts out as a sorcerer's apprentice, basically. She's about college age. She is sort of learning from her boyfriend, who's somewhat older than she is. Uh, In the first book, they start out the novel trying to cast a spell to bring down a rainstorm. Uh, It's in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, the city's been experiencing a pretty bad drought. It seems like a really routine spell that they've been hired to do. Something goes terribly wrong during the casting of the spell, and her boyfriend basically gets sucked off to hell. Mm. And she spends the rest of the book trying to find him. Also, in sort of the aftermath, she is really damaged physically. She loses one of her eyes. Her arm gets ripped off. She's dealing with that throughout the course of the first book. And a lot of people were kind of impressed by the fact that she's not all better at the end of the book. Right. She's got new powers and she's got some of her functionality back, but she's not all magically healed up. So her major, I guess, characteristics are her determination. She's got a bit of a chip on her shoulder. 
She's a bit earthy. She swears a lot. Nothing at all like <laughs> me, of course. I was about, yeah, okay. I was getting around <laughs> to that, but I got you. So this is not a typical Hollywood story. Everything winds up all nice and cookie cutter at the end. There's been sort of a trend in some urban fantasies that gear a little bit more toward being paranormal romances where the main characters are these really beautiful women who are very concerned about the clothes they're wearing, even though they have more important things to worry about. And mm. they go through these fight scenes where they don't break a nail. And that just always struck me as being really unrealistic, even within the parameters of, oh, hey, there's a dragon over there and there's a demon over here. You know, when Jessie gets into a fight, she gets into a fight. She gets beat up. She's covered in mud. It's all on, you know. Back in the day, the strongest girl that I would see a lot of times, you know, this is, of course, a different generation. They were tough as far as talk and they would do stuff, but they were cheeky. You know, yeah. they weren't like just beating the pulp out of a dude, you know. And with this generation, I mean, girls just get to beat beat the tar out of dudes. And Are women really liking that, though? Because I never asked a woman that. Are they really liking seeing that on the screen? I'm not saying that you wouldn't, but I'm saying, is that really cool? Is that really empowering? I can't speak for all women. I mean, some women like it. But what about you? Oh, man, I love action films. But even, even the women, the women just beating the tar out of dudes. It depends on what's happening and why it's happening. I don't necessarily want to watch somebody who's a sadist. Well, yeah, we all kind of disagree with the sadist. So I, I got, right. Well, maybe not Steve. I don't know. I shouldn't get into the religious <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Jesse is not only strong in that she can beat people down, but she's strong even when she physically can't do it either. She has a strength of will and a strength of character that also really spoke to me. And that's one of the other reasons that I really love this series. The other thing is she's emotionally engaged. You know, it's not like she's just sort of a Terminator type character who's like <laughs> sort of above everything that's happening and kind of vaguely sociopathic in terms of being disconnected from what's happening. No, she's involved in the people around her. Well, she has to be if she sent her boyfriend to hell. I mean, that's a lot to cope with. She didn't send him there. That happened for reasons that are explained in the book that oh, didn't okay. have anything to do with them screwing anything up. Oh, okay. You find out in the book what really happened. Well, don't don't but, tell me then. Let's keep. But it I won't tell you. But yeah, but yeah, it wasn't her fault and it wasn't his fault. Oh, so okay. he I was got set that up. Wrong. You also said one other thing that I, it is intriguing, but I'm just not sure how to put it. You said that her boyfriend was older than she is. I mean, even though women, you know, they go toe to toe, they they go Rambo, you know, they do everything. It feels like as an older guy, you can still count on younger women always being interested. Does that ever evolve? It would be kind of nice if that did change. I mean, it's it's kind of been a thing for a long time that, you know, older guys, you know, as they age, they still get to be considered sexy. Right. Whereas until fairly recently, it's like if you were a woman and you got past a certain age, it was like, I oh, forget about it. You know, unless you were married, who was going to see you as an object of desire? Right. But part of it is that the relationship between uh, Jesse and her boyfriend, Cooper, he's a little immature, you know, I'll be honest about that. So, I mean, they're kind of a good match for each other, but their relationship, she starts to reconsider some of the dynamics as it goes on. It's not like she's looking to break up with him, but once she kind of goes to Helen back to kind of save him, she kind of comes out of that a different person. And she's like, things need to be different. So their relationship is changed by the process of her saving him. 
and it keeps changing. So it's not just this static thing. It just seems since Jesse's boyfriend has gone to hell, it seems like he would have grown up by now. And by well, he's, he's changed by it too. I mean, you know, yeah. they, they both are really significantly changed by the experience. Okay. And, you know, you come to realize that the reasons he's been kind of avoiding things in his life are because of some legit reasons. Right. You know, he was maybe not making the best decisions, but once you find out everything he's been through, you kind of understand where he's coming from. Right. It's not like he's trying to be a bad guy. He's trying to do the right thing. It's just, you know, some things are really difficult for him. Well, sometimes in life you can do all the right things and still go to hell. Or you can do the wrong things for good reasons. You know, that happens yeah. too. Is there anything you'd like to correct me on and maybe state that, you know, maybe I cheated you out or something? I don't know. I, I don't want to get the story wrong, you know? Things that people have praised the novels for, they've praised them for the characterization and they've praised them for the levels of action. Sometimes people go into books like these thinking that it's going to be like a romance novel. Mine are not romances. There's not a thing wrong with romance novels, but that's not what I'm writing. A lot of my readers, in fact, have been guys. I did a signing in uh, San Antonio, and uh, later I did a signing in another couple of towns in Texas. But like 80% of the people who came to get books signed were guys, which really surprised me. Because I figured it would be about 50-50, you know, because I, right, I hear right. from a lot of women who enjoy the series. But when it comes time to have the signings, it's usually guys who come to the table to get the books. So I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that, you know, even though I've got the kick-ass female protagonist, the books are very guy-friendly. It's like when I was in school, or even sometimes on television, you'd see strong girls, but they would be doing different types of push-ups than guys would be doing. But mm -hmm. on television these days, they don't. They do the same types of push-ups, you know, and I guess they're, for lack of a better word, I, I guess it's the only word I can say that they, they're badasses like the guys, you know, and yep. I mean, that doesn't make it right, but... A good actor, a good actress is a good actress, and they pull the role off, and, and it makes it totally believable, you know? And we're getting to a point where that we're finally we can accept that as a society, and I think that's a great thing. Half of us are women. Let's say it is 50-50, but a lot of times they buy like 80% of the stuff. What do you think, Lucy? You're being awfully quiet here. We're trying to represent <laughs> your people well. I know you have opinions on this, Lucy. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> she could be just rolling her eyes right about now. This is, conversation is so fake. These two dudes, they don't even believe what they're saying. What specific question did you want me to answer? There oh, were a whole bunch of questions in there. I'm trying to see if Steve and I were, let's say, were we on point at all, what we just said about women? Or were we just trying to placate you because you were in the room? Well, well I, I have I to think see her I, on I, Sunday. Yeah, he has to see me on Sunday, and he has to work with me for the next 50 years on books, yeah. So. Yeah, but you still could have the poison pen. You could get the last word. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm still a little concerned that we're, you know, kind of painting women as this homogenous mass, and that's not the case. I mean, you know, there are certainly a lot of really complex layers of discrimination and bias and things like that that play into you know, how female authors get treated and how women get treated as consumers of books or movies or anything else. You're starting to sound like um, the issue that came up about 18 months ago or two years ago. It was a lot with the Washington Post, but it was specifically with the New York Times bestseller list, how women were complaining. Probably was guys too, but mainly women complaining how there weren't enough women 
on the New York Times bestseller list. If you look at how female authors are treated pretty much everywhere down the line, they are published in science fiction, fantasy, and horror less often. When their books come out, their books are reviewed less often than men's books are. There are fewer female book reviewers. It's like at every level, the volume on women's stuff gets turned down by every phase you go through, and that's frustrating. And it's not new. It's been there forever. Yeah. So... One thing that happens, and I kind of peripherally alluded to this earlier, if you're a female writer, there's an assumption that you're writing romance. It's like people start hurting you toward that, whether that's what you want to write or not. And at a certain point, I've seen enough female writers who started out writing horror or fantasy or whatever. They finally said, you know what? Screw it. Fine. Everybody wants me to write romance. I'm going to go write romance because I can sell that. And again, nothing wrong with romance, except that it's the expected thing. Right. If anybody's making a joke about a genre, it's usually romance because, oh, haha, it's it's women's stuff. Steve may not like it, but I think this leads me to believe that I'm a moderate or a liberal, and I've accused Steve of being a moderate, a liberal. You say that like it's a bad thing. It is a bad thing. Why? Well, I'm just saying when he and I get on the show, <laughs> he and I get into these philosophical chats about almost like rose-colored glasses sometimes, or halfway in the middle about a certain topic. Let's say it's African-Americans, or let's say it's women, and then you're an actual woman, so then you come on and you say it's more complicated than that. It's more complicated than that. When, when I wanted to be right all along. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm not knocking what you're saying or anything like that. I'm just saying it is a complicated topic, and... And me being liberal and me wanting uh, DJ Grandpa's crib to be kind of like a voice of inclusion, to have all sorts of different stories and different angles on it. Sometimes I guess I can, you know, I can help the whitewash the situation when I, that's not really my intent. So I do believe that things have gotten better for women in some ways. Oh, absolutely. I mean, things things are considerably better in a lot of ways, but I mean, there, there are still plenty of targets for improvement there. For anyone out there who's looking for a female protagonist who can kick some serious butt and doesn't mind getting a little dirty in the process, check out the new Jesse Shimmer novel, Devil's Field, by Lucy A. Snyder, now funding on Kickstarter. I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's crib. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Zach Samal, our assistant editors. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus. <laughs>